Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And Merry Christmas to one and to all. This is Jeremiah, your host of The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I receive so many questions from you But I have a question to ask. I want to ask you, what is the most important apologetic question of our time? What do you think is the single most important apologetics issue of our day? I say often on this program, and again, when I say apologetics, I don't mean I'm apologizing for the faith. That's that's a term that we use in the Bible for being able to give a reason for the hope that's within us, First Peter 3.15, the ability, as Jude said, to contend for the faith. What do you think is the most singular, most important apologetics issue of our time? Would you like to know what I think? It is the church's response to suicide and mental health. This is the number one apologetics issue of our time. The church has an amazing opportunity right now because of the hurt In so many of our lives, the mental challenges in so many of our families and among our friends and in our church congregations, if the church can articulate and answer this question in a biblically powerful way, in a pastoral way, emotional way, and intellectual way, this could be the key to unlocking, I'm serious, a new revival in our church. And friends, we have to answer this correctly. Apologetics is all about answering the questions our culture has today about our faith. The questions are different today than the questions that C.S. Lewis face, or even apologists before C.S. Lewis face. Well, guess what? The church is facing a grave challenge today. There is a suicide and mental illness epidemic that is raging in our congregations and among our pastors. And so today, I am going to equip you with how to answer this in an intellectual, in a compassionate, and in a biblically-centric way. What every Christian must understand about suicide and mental illness in the church. Please, whatever you're doing, listen to every aspect of this broadcast. I want to equip you. I want to help you know how to minister to those that are hurting. And let me tell you something. They are all hurting around us. You cannot believe the hundreds of questions I'm receiving on this program from those who are suffering because their church is silent and never addresses it. Well, today, this broadcast is going to bring hope. It's going to bring encouragement. Stay with us. The title of my message is Church of the Invisible Diseases, How We Can Respond to Suicide and Mental Health in the Church. Out of 4,000 questions we've received at Christian Thinker Society, people are always shocked to hear what the number one most asked question is. Can you make any guesses? The number one question that we've been asked are issues around suicide and mental illness. That's right, suicide. I think it's the most asked question because it's so rarely addressed. 
I mean, think about it. When was the last time that you personally heard a sermon series on mental illness or suicide? And yet Christian psychiatrists will tell you that 48% of adults will have a direct experience with mental illness themselves sometime during their lifetime. No one is immune from mental illness, not even our pastors. Recent LifeWay research study found that 25% of our pastors are struggling with mental illness. Suicide, even among Christians, is an epidemic. Do you realize we are far more dangerous to ourselves than to others? More people kill themselves than kill one another each year. In fact, there are twice as many suicides as murders. Think about it. Our church families are incredible when someone gets physically sick or a family suffers from an accident or some kind of serious illness. Schedules are created where hurting people are never left alone. Meals are brought over. Pastors make visits. There are prayer chains, except when someone is suffering from a mental, psychological illness. We isolate people because we simply don't know what to do or say. As a church, we can do better. Statistics show us that nearly every family in your church is struggling with some type of mental illness. How do we respond? How do we intervene? How can we help? How do we even begin the conversation? How do we respond to the invisible diseases? And this is your host, Jeremiah. Stay with us. We're going to be back in 90 seconds with the rest of the message. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. We're continuing with unanswered, lasting truth for trending questions. Let's get back into the message, Church of the Invisible Diseases, What Every Christian Must Know About Suicide and Mental Health. She calls it her invisible disease, her invisible handicap. Why? Because mental illness is real, constantly holding her back, weighing her down, obliterating her self-esteem. But the problem is, she says, no one else can see this disease that's so real to her. My friend Anna is 22 years of age. She's one of the most courageous people I know. She spent half her life struggling with mental illness and is now speaking out about it courageously and boldly. Anna's story is mirrored by so many people in our churches who are struggling silently dying on the inside from these invisible diseases. Now, Anna doesn't fit that typical stereotype of what one struggling with a mental illness is supposed to look like. Anna comes from a wonderful Christian home. Her parents and four siblings are committed followers of Jesus. They're active in their local church. They serve in their community. Anna is talented, articulate. And from the outside, you would never guess that she struggled with any of these invisible diseases. It all began for Anna when she was diagnosed with juvenile type 1 diabetes. That diagnosis spiraled Anna into years of full-on anxiety and depression and ultimately a debilitating eating disorder. You know, it might surprise you to learn that research shows that eating disorders are the most fatal of all the mental illnesses. Anna says, I never realized I was depressed. I never even thought about depression, probably because no one ever talked about it. Her mental illness caused her to feel like she had no control over her own body. She would force herself to look at her body in the mirror, which caused her to cry and become even angry with God. How could he curse me with this dysfunctional, disgusting body? Anna said that going to church only made things worse. 
When the congregation stood to sing, she was so embarrassed by her body, she couldn't even worship. She didn't want anyone else to see her. Anna even refused to take communion, counting every single calorie. Her mental illness made her feel like such a failure as a Christian. Anna makes a key statement, quote, no one ever talked to me about my mental illness. None of my teachers, no sermons from my pastors or my youth group leaders, and my parents never talked with me about it. Anna's eating disorder and all the associated depression and anxiety had consumed her every thought, and as she said, quote, taken everything from me. In her own words, Anna says, I lost connection with all of my friends. I pushed everyone away, broke up with my boyfriend, even lost faith in God, and I was taken away from a job that I loved. I had prayed to God for help, but felt like he hadn't heard me. I never got better, no matter how hard I prayed. I was sick of praying about it. An intervention by her parents and psychiatrists saved Anna's life. Being treated in an inpatient treatment center began her road to recovery, healing, as she says, from the inside out. Once my brain was properly nourished, I realized that it was not my fault. My anxiety, depression, mental illness, and eating disorder did not make me a bad person or a failure as a Christian. I had a medical condition and I needed professional help. Now here's the launch point for this session. Anna says, quote, I can't help but wonder if I had learned about depression, anxiety, and mental disorders growing up, maybe I would have seen red flags sooner and asked for help. But how could I see help for a problem I didn't even know I had? Which leads us right to point number one of our session. Number one, as a church, as a body of believers, as Christians, as a community of faith, we have to stop the silence about mental illness. The number one problem in our churches related to matters of mental health and mental disorders is silence, saying nothing. Mental illness is widespread and it affects everyone in the church, listen to me, whether we admit it or not. Did you know one out of four people suffer from mental illnesses? That's right, one out of four. We have this elephant in the room called mental illness. It fills our churches each and every week, yet no one feels comfortable discussing it. The ministry of Jesus, though, focused on removing barriers to belief and restoring people who were suffering. That was his calling. Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who think they're sinners. I like what Ed Stetzer recently said, quote, we need to stop whispering in our churches about mental illness. We have to remove the stigma associated with mental illness as Christians. A recent LifeWay research study found that 66% of pastors rarely or never address the subject of mental illness from their pulpits, 66%. And the same survey revealed the majority of churchgoers wish that their pastors would talk about mental illness from the pulpit. They don't want it to be a taboo subject any longer. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about mental health, right thinking, training our minds, loving God with our minds? In response to the expert in the law who asked Jesus which of the commandments were the greatest, do you remember what Jesus replied in that wonderful passage, Matthew 22, 37? And he said, you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and thirdly, what? With all your mind. 
What is lost in that passage is the commandment to love God with our minds, with our intellect, with our thinking. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice to run away, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. I love Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Peter actually quotes Psalm 55, 22, when he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting, we are to continually throw our burdens, cares, anxieties on the Lord because he cares for us. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the stark reality. According to the latest studies, 48%, almost half of the world's population, will have a direct experience with mental illness themselves over the course of their lifetime. 10% of our young people are experiencing chronic depression right now. And 1 in 20 Americans live with a serious mental illness such as bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, or major chronic depression. These are massive segments of our population. And in my experience as a pastor and professor, no one is immune from mental illness. If we're not personally afflicted by mental illness, we might be affected by it from friends or a spouse, a family member or a coworker. So number one, we have to stop the silence. Number two, we have to stop the shame and exclusion. I'm talking about inside our churches. I had the privilege to pastor for over a decade. I will never forget the time I was meeting as a pastor with a family who told me that they had just joined our church because their previous church had in fact asked them to leave because of a family member with a mental illness. Instead of integrating and assimilating the person struggling with a mental illness, we segregate and exclude our parishioners. I mean, can you imagine as a local church asking a family to leave because somebody's struggling with a mental illness? We don't mean to do it, but we shame them. You know what's so wrong about shame with our churches? We never see this in the ministry of Jesus. Now, my expertise in scholarship is in the Gospels, Jesus, the resurrection. And I can tell you as a Bible scholar, I don't ever see Jesus banishing a hurting person ever in his ministry, do you? Mental illness is so isolating. Those suffering from mental illness, they feel cut off. And guess what? If they feel cut off from the church community, who else do you think they're going to feel cut off from? God. People with sick brains cannot simply be fixed at the altar by a passionate prayer or some anointing oil. Does God heal? Absolutely. Does he work miracles? Of course he does. But just like we have those struggling with physical problems in our churches, there are those who struggle with mental, emotional problems and anxieties. They didn't get into their problems overnight, and they're not going to get out of their problems overnight. We have to stop shaming those in our churches with mental illness. God has not given us a spirit to run away of fear, of cowardice. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which gives us God's power to train ourselves to think rightly, to love, and to have self-control. And that should be our attitude with anyone in our church struggling and everyone in our church struggling with mental illness. Jesus' ministry was all about healing broken people. And that's the task that he gave to the church, heal broken people. Let's decide together, stop the shame, stop the silence, stop the exclusion. And then thirdly, as a church community, we need to understand mental illness and we need to be present. One of the most attractive aspects of the church is this factor that we have of community. 
the wonderful reality of the church is that we believe together. This is the, that communion ceremony. It's not individual, it's collective. We grow together. We have faith together. We hurt together. And yes, we suffer together. Mental illness happens not just to that person or family who's struggling. Mental illness happens to the entire body. Jesus did not say, upon this strong Christian who reads his Bible every day, the gates of hell will not prevail against him. No, the verse doesn't read that way. In Matthew 16, 18, in response to Peter's declaration of a Jesus-centric faith, he said, upon that truth, this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the ark of safety. We begin to understand mental illness by properly defining it. You know, most people don't even know how to define mental illness. Mental illness is defined as a physical dysfunction of the brain that causes the inability to think or feel or act in a person's normal manner. The facts are that mental illness is a physical bodily dysfunction that guess what? It can kill you. It can disable you. And it can certainly shorten your lifespan if left untreated. In 2012, the World Health Organization reported that depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. This week in your personal time and your Bible study, you're going to explore the epidemic of suicide in our church and in our society. Did you know worldwide over a million people take their lives each year? An almost incomprehensible number, a million people. Every 15 minutes, someone commits suicide in the United States. More United States citizens kill themselves than kill one another each year. In fact, there are twice as many suicides as murders annually in the United States. Do you realize that we are far more dangerous to ourselves than to others? People who die by suicide exponentially leave their family members and friends in a state of utter emotional and spiritual shock. We have to stop the trite comments about mental illness and suicide. Oh, you just need more power, or come on, you just need to perk up, or you just need more faith. As leaders and as concerned churchgoers, as loving family members, we need to understand mental illness more clearly. Mental disorder is a physical problem. It's not a matter of willpower. Just as you do not get out of bed and say, today my cholesterol will be lower, and you pronounce it, you can't just declare your mental illness away. There is a treatment procedure just like there is when you lower your cholesterol. So not only do we need to understand mental illness and be present and show up, fourthly, the church needs to be part of the equation treating mental illness. We need to get in the game. Let's personalize this. You need to become sensitive to the person you know right now who's struggling with mental illness. I was watching a TED Talk recently, and I heard something I'd never quite thought of. Why is it that diseases and injuries of every part of your body, except the brain, elicit compassion from our friends and loved ones? I mean, think about this. Our church families are incredible when someone gets sick or a family suffers an accident or some form of an illness. I mean, Sunday school classes and Bible studies create schedules and where the hurting person, they're never left alone, meals are brought over, pastors make home visits, except when someone is suffering in their mind or in their brain. We isolate people because we just don't know what to do or say. You know, there are some exceptionally helpful support groups and organizations dedicated to helping people with mental illness, but did you know most of them are not Christian organizations? Why is it that the church has fallen so far behind in supporting and treating uh, and being part of the healing equation for mental illness? 
Dr. Daniel Moorhead is a Christian psychiatrist examining the clinical side of the brain, and he makes a very strong point that brings healing. And many of you need to hear this right now. This Christian psychiatrist says mental illness is nobody's fault. I want to say that one more time. Mental illness is nobody's fault. You need to let that sink in. Parents are not at fault, and patients are not to blame. Mental illness is not a spiritual problem. You do not have a mental illness because you lack enough faith. Just believing more does not cure mental illness. Mental illness is treatable, and there needs to be a treatment plan. Back to our friend Anna. Through therapy and recovery, she learned that mental illness does not make her a failure as a person or a Christian. Anne has learned that recovery from an eating disorder, anxiety, depression, it's a long-term battle. There's no silver bullet. She even admits it this way, quote, many days I do not feel like fighting my disordered thoughts. It's exhausting, but I know God loved me enough to send his son to, to die for me. Remembering this helps me want to love myself, Anna says. If I can't do it for me, I can do it for him. One of the most transparent and courageous statements that Anna has made is this, opening up and sharing about my mental illnesses has become such a huge part of my recovery. Hiding my depression, anxiety, and eating disorder gave these illnesses so much power over me. I am no longer a slave to my eating disorder, and with God's strength, I can walk upright and be free. What a courageous statement. So what are some immediate ways that we as a church community can be proactive and be part of the healing solution? Here's this healing equation. Number one, we need to admit every family struggles. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We need to reach out to one another and begin an honest conversation and dialogue. We need to change our thinking as a church community and get rid of the stigma. The second part of the equation is this. We need to make a commitment to love instead of judge condemn and misunderstand. I think one of the funny observations I learned very early on in my ministry is that Christians, they don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. One of the reasons that we do not discuss mental illnesses, these invisible diseases, is because in the church, people are afraid that they're gonna be gossiped about, ostracized. We've lost our first love. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. The third part of the healing equation would be to build support groups for every age level in our church for addressing mental disorders. Mental illness does not separate people from the love of God, and so it shouldn't separate us from the church. The principle I learned from Anna was that one of the most helpful things in her recovery is surrounding those who are struggling with positive, supportive people who discuss the mental illness, not ignoring its existence, Having that community is a major part of the treatment process. Which leaves us finally to the fourth part of our equation. We can encourage the mentally ill in our church communities to serve. Most people struggling with a mental illness are extremely witty, well-humored, and highly intelligent. It is an often overlooked fact that some of the greatest Christians of all time have had lifelong struggles with depression, even thoughts of suicide, and struggled with all the invisible diseases. When my wife and I lived in Oxford, with the encouragement of my friend Michael, we traveled about an hour outside of Oxford near Milton Keys to the little town known as Olney. Even though it's just a little speck on the map, Olney is a place we should have all heard of because it's right there 
in that location that John Newton, the local pastor, preparing for a Bible study on New Year's Day, the year 1773, wrote perhaps the most famous song of all time, Amazing Grace. What a Bible study that would have been to be part of. Amazing Grace was published a few years later in the now famous book known as The Only Hymns. But many are not aware that that hymn book actually had a co-author, John Newton's dear friend, William Cooper. William Cooper himself wrote nearly 70 of the 300 or so hymns in The Only Hymn Manual. You've no doubt sung William Cooper's hymns without even knowing it. You sung There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, or another beloved Cooper hymn, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. Aside from being John Newton's best friend, William Cooper is remembered as one of the great poets of the 18th century. Even Benjamin Franklin cherished Cooper's book of poems. A window at the great Westminster Abbey honors William Cooper. But did you know that Cooper struggled with paralyzing depression his entire life? He attempted suicide numerous times. His depression was chronic. Before meeting John Newton, Cooper spent years at St. Albans Insane Asylum before relocating to Olney, where he would meet his best friend, John Newton. The local pastor, John Newton, was there, and he decided to make a home visit on William Cooper, and they became friends. No mental illness touches us all. We can learn from the example of John Newton, who rescued his friend by simply being there, supporting him, showing up, loving him in his mental illness, and then did what? put him to work, told him to come write some hymns with him. I mean, can you imagine the wisdom in that? William Cooper is in despair. He's tried to kill himself numerous times. And his friend, John Newton says, hey, let's write some hymns together. He got William Cooper serving. As we close this session today, where do you find yourself in the story? Perhaps you are a John Newton. You have a friend or a family member. You need to go be a John Newton to that person. Love them, stand with them, serve with them. You know, also our church is filled with William Coopers, talented people struggling with mental illness. Let's show up, let's start the conversation and provide the support and stop the silence and shame. And prayerfully, I invite you to stay with us. We're gonna be back in 90 seconds as we continue this very important discussion on the church's response to suicide and mental health. Stay with us. This is the Jeremiah Johnson Show, back in 90 seconds. Welcome back. This is your host, Jeremiah. This is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Let me encourage you right now to subscribe to this program on podcast or however you archive, listen to this radio broadcast. Um, this show, I can't think of a more important broadcast than this show because of the topic and the answers that we're providing to what I have experienced as the most important question facing the church today, how we answer suicide and mental health Here's an emailed question that's come through to askjjj.com. And don't forget, if you're just joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show, perhaps for the first time, we take all of your questions through askjjj.com. Here's a question from Selma. She writes to me, and listen closely, it's a short question. Is a Christian allowed to help a person to put an end to his own life? Now, let me just share this again. This is from Selma. Is a Christian allowed to help a person 
to put an end to his own life. Thank you in advance. Well, Selma, I can just tell you this. First, it is terrible to watch people that we know and love suffer. It's terrible. It's perhaps the worst thing on earth to watch someone who you love suffer and not being able to do anything about it. And so first, I want to understand the hurt and that you're going through, probably the agony that you're going through. And yet the scriptures are so clear that only God gives and only God takes life. That is the prerogative of God and God alone. And there is no way that a Christian who believes the Bible, who loves Jesus Christ, notwithstanding the suffering that we see in a person who we're close to, there is no way we can justify using our Christian faith to help that person end their suffering. Now, why is that? Let's speak specifically to this question. My friend Wesley J. Smith, and I want to say his name again one more time, Wesley J. Smith, he has written numerous articles on the ethics of life, and he has documented in so many instances recently where someone is given a death sentence, they only have months to live, and yet God miraculously intervenes and heals. It happens. Now, I'm not saying it happens all of the time, but I'm saying that my friend Wesley J. Smith on his website has documented time and time again where miraculous healing takes place. I want to say this as a pastor and as an apologist. I've noticed, secondly, when people suffer God, you never know how God is using that suffering to win other people to Jesus Christ. So often when we suffer there's usually an audience that watches how we respond and how we react and how we simply worship God in the midst of it. And that speaks louder than any sermon can. And so we don't know how God uses that suffering. And so how do we, how do we respond? Well, we trust the Lord, we pray, and we're present. I want to say that again. We trust the Lord, we pray, and we're present in that suffering person's life. And I love what Spurgeon said. Remember, his wife struggled during Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. I document this actually in my unanswered book. I would encourage you to read it because I tell the entire story. During Charles Spurgeon's most effective years in ministry, for a decade, his wife was essentially an invalid. Um, she was unable to even care for her own self. She was so unwell. And one time he looked at his wife and he said, Oh, honey. He was watching that crackling fire. She was, she was struggling. She was suffering. Watching that fire in their family room, he said, oh, it takes the fire to bring out the music. And so often, isn't it like that when we suffer? It takes the fire to bring out the music. And yet Spurgeon wrote, when I cannot see the hand of God, I can trust the heart and the character of God. So we may not even be able to see this side of heaven, how God is using this suffering, but we have to trust the heart of God. God is good. He is omniscient. And if we trust him, he will use even this suffering for his glory and for our ultimate good. That is the biblical answer to this question. And so, no, I would never encourage or even justify a Christian helping another person in their life. It just simply does not square with scripture. I do want to encourage you with the very important things as a result to mental health with the remaining part of our power teaching segment. Invisible illnesses of the brain. I want to make sure we appreciate how serious this is. They have the power to isolate you, kill you, shorten your lifespan, 
and cause you to cease to be a productive member of your community. Mental illness, though, I want to make this clear, is not a choice, but the good news is that it is treatable, friends. The Bible says that we were born in sin. Through one man's sin, uh, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We inherited a curse from Adam, and that curse has impacted and afflicted the human body in many ways. I mean, think about it. The body grows old. Strength dissipates, and eventually even our immune systems cannot fight off disease. Our cell structures break down, and eventually we expire. We're prone to make wrong decisions. Character is not natural, but sin is. Think about that. And in a strange way, not even the best mental health professionals can fully explain how many people and why it is that they experience mental illness. And so studies indicate that in some cases, mental illness is biological and make, the, make no mistake, even generational. Um, remember J.P. Moreland, who said he, had, he was a guest on our program, one of the top 25 philosophers in the world who said he had a genetic predisposition to mental illness and mental challenges. And so he was working through that. Here he is, this great thinker, and yet he had this genetic predisposition. And of course, you know, in the backdrop of any illness, without a doubt, there is also daily spiritual warfare. Read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, if you need to be reminded. The devil is literally attacking us, um, trying to cause us to fail as followers of Jesus, no matter if we have mental challenges or not. So there's always a spiritual challenge. So we have to be discerning enough to determine how the enemy's attacking us, but then also to determine what physical challenge am I facing, and then let's treat it. Mental illness is a physical dysfunction of the brain, and so we can treat it in physical ways. And yes, the spirit, there are spiritual implications, as we said in the message, make no mistake, but at the same time, it is treatable. So that's the power segment of the Jeremiah Johnston show. I'm going to be back in 90 seconds. We're going to return with my good friend, Brian Daniel, who's joining us from Lifeway Christian Resources. Brian worked together with me as we created the Unanswered Bible Study Series. I look forward to him joining us. Stay with us in 90 seconds. We'll be back in just a few moments. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. This Christmas season, we've been listening to the unanswered Bible study segments. And I just want to remind everyone that you can listen to these. Uh, and Brian, I'm, jo- I'm joined by Brian Daniel from Lifeway Publishing, and he's been joining me this month as we've been discussing the unanswered book, Bible study, and video series. And Brian is a key architect. Uh, not only for the unanswered Bible study, but for the last 20 years, he's been involved in publishing. He and his wife, Karen, are incredible writers themselves. Uh, Brian is joining us from Franklin, Tennessee. And Brian was part of the original team uh, that launched the entire vision for the unanswered Bible study. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you for a moment, though. Um, you know, you give leadership to these amazing Bible studies. You work with great Bible study teachers around the world. Um, how did you come to get involved in this position? I mean, I really view, is this position for you, is, is there a sense of calling that lie behind this? I mean, this isn't just another job to you, is it? Yeah, there would have to be. So just to give the background, it was in the late 90s. Um, my wife and I had experienced a, a bit of a crisis. Um, I was a high school football and wrestling coach, 
and have this call to full-time ministry. And I do not come from a family of pastors. I do not come from what most call a family of, uh, you know, what are growing disciples. They were not uh, unchristian. I mean, you know how it is in uh, in this part of the country. Most people see themselves as believers or what they would call Christians, but I would not necessarily call everyone in that category that refers to themselves that way as disciples. So uh, I didn't even know what it meant. And so mm. the only thing I needed to do, I, I needed to do was to go to my pastor and, and say, look, I've had this experience. I don't know. I don't know if this means I'm supposed to go to seminary. I don't know if I'm supposed to just, I, I didn't know. I didn't know, Jeremiah. I had a master's in English and uh, was willing to do whatever, whatever I, 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 you know, I felt like I needed to do. So we, we, we uh, landed on, because we, uh, we had two children at the time, it was either going to be part-time seminary and full-time work or part-time work and full-time seminary. And so mm-hmm. we laid out the fleece, and through circumstances that, you know, there's no reason to get into here, I got connected with someone that was then the Baptist Sunday School Board. Yes. Uh, Jeremiah, I, did, I didn't even know that there was such a thing. I should have because I'd been in Sunday school and knew that there was the curriculum. Yes. And so I met Henry Webb at Ridgecrest Conference Center through two other people, and it's a funnier story than what, I, what we've got time for here. <laughs> Wound up, Henry wound up with my resume, called me up. I thought he was a telemarketer, and uh, he, <laughs> he you know, basically said, I don't know why you're talking to me this way, but I'm calling from the Baptist Sunday School Board, and I have your resume. <laughs> and I thought, oh, so I was way off, and uh, <laughs> and uh, wound up going up for an interview, and that was in, uh, that was in the late 90s. I went into the uh, leadership department as a very entry-level editorial and, uh, you know, Henry said, I think you're overqualified for this job, to which I thought, <laughs> Henry, does, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not overqualified for anything. I am mm. just happy to be on the phone with you. And so that's, that was the start of it. And uh, through my career, I've worked in groups and in publishing, actually did events for a season. But I've been in this role more or less since about 2004. So it's been a few years out of the 20 to 21 years that I've been what is now LifeWay Christian Resources. And, and yeah, mean, uh, to have meaningful work and a calling like this and to know at the end of the day um, that we are facilitating the work of the Holy Spirit and the lives of these group members is is something that's really hard to put into words. So yeah, it's I would definitely put it in the calling category. Brian, I, I just want to compliment you because so many, I think, resist the call of God on their life. And I just want to ask you for a moment because I receive hundreds of questions. How do I know this is God speaking to me? I mean, how did you and Karen know? I mean, here you are, you're teaching wrestling, you're teaching high school football, you have two little children. And I mean, I can say as a parent of five kids, I mean, just the noise of having <laughs> children around us. I mean, how do we even have time to hear the voice of God? How did you know it was God calling you? I mean, what were some of the steps that you took through your discernment to know this truly was God calling you to really step away from, you know, impacting lives through coaching, but step into this calling? How did you know it was God? Well, I thought I was asking you the, the questions on the unanswered questions. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I can understand why people would ask that. Um, I, I would say, I would say one of the one of the one of the things that's been said to me is, God calls us to go, and yes. I I do think that you go until you're stopped. 
So that's, on the one hand, that's the easy answer, is if you feel like God is calling you, you check it with Scripture, and you go. You don't really ask questions. You, know, you don't ask. You don't look for the open and closed doors. That's but good. But apart from that, apart from that, I would say that you do need to be mindful of where those opportunities are. So, for instance, we go to Ridgecrest Conference Center on literally a wing and a prayer. It was actually a Saturn a Saturn mm-hmm. car and a prayer, I guess. We drove from – we're in Atlanta at the time. So if that gets shut down, what do you do? You know, so you're back to the drawing board. You're back on your knees, and you're praying for guidance. God, obviously, that wasn't it. But that did lead to this path, and we've been there ever since. So I, I don't know. I think I think there would be people that would say that if, you, if you, you're unsure and you don't know, then you need to keep praying through it. You don't need to act. It's a delicate balance, I think you would agree. It's not the easiest thing to navigate on the one hand. On the other hand, I would say that it's very easy to navigate. Mm, mm, that's so good. And can you just talk about you and Karen for a moment? Because you both are involved in ministry together. You're both involved in, Ryan, in, in writing and, and architecting studies and curriculum. And, and friends, I just want to make sure you realize, I mean, I know this well. I mean, Lifeway is the largest publisher in the world. It's the largest Christian publisher in the world. Some 200 brick-and-mortar stores a million and a half Christians use Lifeway studies every single Sunday in their churches. And it's remarkable to think that the that the Sunday school board out of the world's largest denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, has now given birth to curriculum that's used by churches across the denominational spectrum. I've worked I've spoken in Lutheran Missouri Synod churches that use the unanswered Bible study. I've spoken in Pentecostal churches that use Lifeway curriculum. I mean it's remarkable uh, to me, how many different denominations use it. But can you just discuss for a moment um, how you and Karen came to this, you know, my minister, we have 60% of our audience are females and, and the role of your marriage in, in responding to God and obedience. Can you just discuss that for a moment, Brian? Well, I would say, again, it's, uh, it's as, much as, as much as you wish things were easy, you know, sometimes they're just not. I know, to again quote Carson, he said, "We don't drift towards holiness." So we um, we were very committed to a single uh, single in, being a single income family for a period of time. So Karen, uh, we we grew up together. We went to the same high school. We also went to the same college, but we did not start dating until we were in college. So she has a degree in English, and um, she you know graduated college with a career in mind, but was willing to put that apart. Uh, put that aside during a season of life when Ashton and Skylar were growing up. And that, that wasn't easy for her because she's, um, you know, she, she just, you know, she has, she has a vision for her own life and her own calling and comes from a a really good family. So, but she always stayed engaged. So she did Mm -hmm. contract work, working with our magazines. She did um, uh, some freelance work with our, uh, our Sunday school curriculum through those years. And so, she maintained those relationships, and then there was a time came when, you know, we felt like it wasn't that she wasn't needed at home anymore because that's never the case, but she was needed less, hmm. and it gave her the opportunity to, to again pursue this calling at Lifeway, and so she's been with Student Publishing now, and um, she yeah. is one of the, of the publishing leaders with the the Bible study side of uh, teens or student publishing. 
and uh, we're able to ride together to work a lot of the times, and that's fun. Um, if you'd asked me, say, 25 years ago, what would it be like to work with your wife, I think my first question would have been, hey, who's my wife going to be? Yeah. <laughs> my second question would have been, my second question would have been, I wonder what that's like. And I don't know about the listeners, but I would have been thinking about things like, so when I see her in the hallway, do I feel like I always have to talk? Do I wave? Do we just say I'll see you tonight? No weird stuff. But it's nothing like that. And our, our teams, they actually adapt a lot of what we do for students. So our teams work very closely together. And it's been it's been just the greatest thing. And it's really cool that we go for walks at night um, or like long, long drives together that we have this thing in common. In fact, the joke with us is if we didn't have this to talk about, I don't know what we would talk about. You know, what, do, <laughs> what do you guys talk about? Because, but it's been, I, we've just both, I guess I should speak for myself, Jeremiah, but I, I have really enjoyed, I have really enjoyed that part of it and us being able to serve in this way and run in the same circles and even work on the same projects and like we just adapted a Ravi Zacharias message yeah. uh, last year. There was a student version, and then we did a version. And to see how the churches have embraced that, how it's working the lives of believers, and that you know we were able to do that as a household, it's just kind of a cool thing. Well, and friends, if you're listening and you're married, um, let Brian and Karen Daniels' story inspire you. Um, it's it's really easy to see people on platforms and see how people are used by God mightily today. I mean, everything Brian's fingers touch. Uh, ends up being used by tens of thousands of churches. But I wanted you to hear the story behind it. Uh, here is a couple that yielded to God, pray together, and sought God's face together. And now look, and I, friends, I think that Brian made an interesting step. We go, we take steps of faith. We use those relationships that God's put in front of us. I had no idea my first day of school when Audrey and I moved to England, um, studying in residentially in Oxford. I had no idea really uh, what God had in store for me, but I promised the Lord I'd be faithful with the relationships that he gave. And I saw his handiwork that lie behind those relationships. So I just want to encourage you, what kind of relationships is God bringing in your path? We've got to take a break, uh, but make sure you're faithful uh, with those relationships. We'll be talking more of the Unanswered Bible Study in 90 seconds. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. This is Jeremiah. I want to encourage you with some engagement principles of when we receive the answer, and we've been discussing these trending unanswered questions, when we have the evidence, when we have those practical biblical answers, we still need to be able to use them wisely. And so within the unanswered book and Bible study series, I have a whole set of what I refer to as engagement principles. How do we engage the truth in our daily life? How do we use this with our friends and our family in normal conversation? Because remember, the more I know about my faith, and we are certainly learning through this series, the more comfortable I should be in a faith dialogue. Well, I want to leave you with two very important ones. Number one, in this engagement principle, be curious. Remember, the art of asking the right questions, listen, this is an art, you, when you have the ability to ask a question, you make the other person an expert. And make no mistake, being smart about your personal faith doesn't mean that we think others, people are stupid. And so, you know, Jesus had a great curiosity when you study his method of evangelism in the Gospels. 
you know, when we study every question Jesus asked, he was always curious. He made the other person the expert. And over, over again and again, I have found that individuals respond so much more to a curious person than that person who's being assertive. So even though you feel that you have great confidence in the answers that you've been given from the Lord through the Word of God, make sure that you're curious as well. Questions make the conversation a two-way process. No one wants to be dictated to. And so having that conversation can even be flattering to someone. Oh, this person, um, they, they care what I think. And so this engagement principle presupposes the fact that most people love to talk about themselves as well, I've noticed. It never ceases to amaze me what someone will say to me when they know that I'm listening. And so, you know, a byproduct of being curious is that our questions will grow very quickly, which will then stimulate other questions and deeper dialogue relationship evangelism, the best kind of evangelism. So being curious also can help people doubt their doubts. You know, audiences always get a perplexed look when I say that we have to doubt our doubts. You know, I actually don't think there's enough doubt because people are so accepting of their doubts. Doubting should apply to everything, even our doubts. So, you know, as you know, we vacillate so much, I mean, this is a human characteristic. And so we need to use this in being curious about our faith. So, again, be curious. And the second thing I want to leave you with, please avoid island fever. This is another important engagement principle. Avoid island fever. To engage others requires leaving that island of our personal comfort zone. Remember, Jesus was always the friend of sinners. I am very concerned about Christians isolating themselves into irrelevancy. Do you even know how people who do not believe in Jesus think? Do you even know what the important questions are that are out there right now? Are you aware of how these unanswered questions are almost like a quicksand trap for people? This is why we need to be cognizant and have a conversant cognitive faith. It's imperative that you are under that you understand culturally even what's being said about our faith. So never forget, Christianity has great explanatory power. And when you encounter the challenges to the Christian faith, you will find, make no mistake, there are answers, but be curious, avoid island fever, and be an agent of belief that is that antidote to so much of the doubt that's around us. I want to encourage you also to add the Lifeway Unanswered Bible Study to your Christian library. You can go to christianthinkers.com right now and you can pick up the entire unanswered Bible study kit. It features a book, a Bible study book, a regular unanswered book. Um, and I also want to encourage you, it has two DVDs inside where for I, I actually, in 30-minute teaching segments, go through every chapter in the Unanswered series. So definitely check that out. Connect with us on social media. Again, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas now, and then bless all of you if you're listening to it after Christmas as well. Uh, this has been the Jeremiah Johnson Show. We've been listening to the Unanswered series, Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. We will see you next week. For the next episode of the Jeremiah Johnson Show. God bless you. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you. So if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. 
And to avoid missing future editions of the Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.